If you want this podcast free of ads, follow us now on patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end up? To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by ACAST. What is the crack? All good. We are now in July. John has moved office. We have. How are you, Ed? <laughs> Great. I'm delighted with myself. I found an office. You know, I was whooshed out of my uh, home office, but I wanted to get yeah. out of there anyway. Yeah, and then he was couch surfing in my office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is great for the Dorky Book Festival. But so I found myself a little office, and it is a little office, in Dunleary. Uh, so I feel like I've kind of almost come home. Are you cocooning in Dunleary? <laughs> cocooning. You're cocooning in, in, in the metropolis that is Dunleary. Do, do you know the funny thing about it is, though, it's just a small office in, in the middle of the, at the end of Dunleary town, and it has a couple of other offices with architects in it. But one of the architects there used to be my next door neighbor, directly across the road from you. Gallivan, is that his name? Yeah, Colin Gallivan. <laughs> it's just weird. That's very odd. <laughs> That's very, very odd. The man say, I haven't say, seen say in hello probably. To him. Say hello really, to him. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen him probably the, 40 years. The Windsor Park Mafia. Yeah. The Windsor Park Mafia has its tentacles <laughs> in all over places, all over. And you'd be a made man. It might be made by yeah. the Windsor Park Mafia. <laughs> hey, you've been made. The case has been made. Well, speaking of Dunleary, what we're going to talk about is what is happening in Dunleary right now and use this as a template to see what could happen in other Irish towns. Yeah. Because what has happened in Dunleary is they have, as of this week, taken cars off the main street and they're trying to liberate the car, the street back to, to the people and diverted traffic around. It's, I think it's a really good initiative. Yeah. But thankfully, we have somebody who really knows about it, who is the senior architect of Dunleary County Council. His name is Bob Hannon, and he is here today to tell us what is happening in Dunleary this week. And then John and I are going to broaden this out to what could happen in your town, in your city, wherever you are, because... One of the great challenges of post-COVID world is where are we going to live? How are we going to live? How are we going to commute? And where are we going to hang out? 
This week, Dunleary is going through a makeover. Now, Dunleary, for those of you who don't know or do know, is the neck of the woods that John and I are from. It's where the podcast is broadcast from. Broadcasting you. broadcasting house. <laughs> broadcasting HQ. And uh, we have been brought up around here. So it's kind of very, very, very dear to our hearts at uh, this neck of the woods. Now, the town itself has gone through many, many incarnations. And as I wrote not that long ago in the Irish Times, the main street of Dunleary is the only place that I have been asked the intricacies of macroeconomic policy and started on in the same conversation, which happened at the church wall. Yes, about four well, years ago. You start and exactly. quit your macroeconomics uh, so, nonsense. Some lad. Some <laughs> lad. That's brilliant. Yeah, so that gives you a flavour. We should find him again and bring him down if, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring him down here. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, there was a group of lads. One of them was asking about macroeconomics and then one of them decided he just started me. He didn't like the cut of me. <laughs> it was brilliant. There's I'm, nothing new there, I'm Mac, like, though. Like, to happen to us all I'm the time. I'm in my 40s. I can't fight. <laughs> anyway, that was a while ago. But Dunleary, yeah, the town has been through all sorts of incarnations. And I, I love the place because it's a properly socially mixed place. And you meet all sorts. And uh, it has a certain amount of, I would say, grittiness that other necks of the woods, it's not half as posh as Monkstown Crescent or Glass Tool. Yeah. It's nowhere near as posh as Dulkey or Black Rock, those type of towns around us. It's got something else. It's got its, it's got soul. It's yeah. got soul. It sure does. And, it's, and it's, it's a harbour town and it's a poor town and all that. And here we're with the senior architect for Dunleary, Bob Hannum, because Bob is one of the architects behind this new drawing up. And the whole idea is reimagining the city and towns around us. Bob, welcome to the Broadcasting Corporation, uh, HQ. Thank you very much. The, the basement. Nice to, be, nice, to be, nice to be here. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. So tell me, what are the plans? So on uh, July the 5th, we're essentially uh, taking the traffic out of the central area of Dunleary and it's part of this initiative called Summer Streets, and it's about bringing people back into the centre and really just handing those those areas back over to people. So people will be able to come, they'll be able to sit around, they'll be able to linger. At the moment, there's an awful lot of traffic goes down that, and it's kind of uncomfortable. You're right up against buses. It's very hard to kind of feel comfortable. But as you said, like Dunleary has this kind of grittiness. It has a real mixture of different types of people and places and shops and all the rest. And it's really about allowing that to breathe and to celebrate it. Yeah, no, I mean, mm. I, I think you, it's I think it's a fantastic initiative. And actually, anybody who follows me on Twitter, every now and then you might uh, see a photograph of me wistfully looking at Dunleary Main Street <laughs> at about nine o'clock on a Saturday morning when there are no cars. I think, yeah. imagine this place without cars. But explain to me the thinking behind it. Explain to me the, the whole, I mean, it sounds with like traffic management, the flows, all the, the opposition, the support. How did it all come about? Well, I think over the last um, maybe even 20 years, there's a growing recognition that at the heart of all of our towns and cities is kind of the idea that people and public life is the, is the thing that you've got to cultivate. And if you work back from that, you'll find kind of ideas about placemaking and so on. So you really what you're trying to do here and what we're trying to do in Dunleary is actually make sure that the way we organize the town supports public life. Okay, so to do that, we're reorganizing some of the traffic, but we're really celebrating, I guess, the fact that we have a beautiful main street. If you look up, you'll see the most amazing Victorian architecture. Mm. And really what we're doing here is, I guess, we're going to create this place that people are going to kind of hang around and be happy in and, 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 and have a good time, you know. And tell me, so, so just tell me that the street was, it's, what I like about the street, and again, this is, this is getting quite, quite detailed for, 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 for those of you who aren't from this neck of the woods, but is that... the 
it seems to me almost at the top of each, each building kind of tells its own story. There's a little like 1902, 1903. Was it mm. was it all built in in, in one chunk in the early part, the late Victorian, early Edwardian? Is that it? So it kind of grew, I think, with the expansion of the railway out of Dublin. I suppose that was on foot of the construction of the harbour. But it has that lovely Victorian kind of obsession almost with detail. So like you say, you can have extremely rich brickwork, you can have beautiful window details, you can have an exquisite terracotta. And that's not that's not unique to Dunleary. In fact, most Irish towns and their central areas are actually gorgeous, you know? Yeah, and lots of thought went, went into them and lots of design and actually extremely, extremely good craftsmanship you see in, in lots of Victorian places. But let's just broaden it like this part of the world has changed profoundly during COVID. And so let's let's look. I mean, and we're talking about Dunleary, but we could be talking about any other Irish small or smallish town. It seems to me that at its core is that the car is the enemy of public life, of the public realm, of public space. You know, when I see, for example, you see these 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 grainy photographs from Amsterdam from the 1970s, and they're jammed with cars and people are out protesting. And then you see those same streets now, and they're just full of kids, and they're full of people. It's it's giving public space which is paid for by the public to private cars, does seem to me to be anti the public realm. So I don't think I would really, I wouldn't describe it or or maybe have a narrative that is so polarizing. I mean, people use cars, they need cars, that's that's their mode of transport. So in, in, in the Netherlands, as I understand it, car ownership is quite high, but car usage might be slightly lower. So it's more a question of rebalancing the public realm so I think that happened in the Netherlands. It happened in Copenhagen in the 70s and 80s and so on. It was a kind of a rebalancing of the users, who gets to use where and, and, and how and so on. So it's more about looking at, at it in its totality. Yeah, okay. And tell me now, Bob, so you're sitting there looking at other countries, looking at other cities, looking what works in urban reimagination and what doesn't? So what's interesting is that there are different strands in architectural tradition, you know. So you could have a public square, which is a design, or you could have a public square, which is maybe has its starting point as public life. So Jan Gale, for instance, in Copenhagen, has a lovely analysis that really architecture is not about itself. It's not a sculptural piece. It's not about architecture with a capital A. It's simply that kind of edge that surrounds and gives life and sustains public life. So what works in other countries those places that work are really those places that are centered around people. And uh, when I say centered around people, I mean that people are comfortable there. They feel safe. They yep. feel convivial. And that's usually supported by discussions about an architecture of scale and character and detail and so on. And tell me, when you look at, with your town planning architectural head on you, and you look at Irish towns, for example, in the general, right? What do you think the future is of them? Because again, what the pandemic has done is it's, it's made us all focus on the future of work, future of technology, future of commuting, and therefore the future of, of the places we live. Well, what, what are you seeing as the big, the big trends? So Irish towns have this great potential to become a heart where people can live and shop locally. They can uh, access services and so on. And it is in many ways a small version of this idea of a 15-minute city. And that just means that you can actually access most of the services uh, that you need to live the good life within 15 minutes. And I think Irish towns have that potential. And they also have that potential, maybe long-term, to take the pressure off, say, the growing pressures on Dublin, 
Uh, you could imagine around the country uh, a whole series of small towns are, who, who have now kind of become much stronger. Yeah, with um, like three, four, five thousand hinterland population sort of places. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But what about all those little towns around Ireland that have been bypassed? You know, there's always the the counter argument that it takes that kind of footfall and business directly from the main street people who might stop off on the way to somewhere else. Does it kind of isolate towns? Well. I've heard that argument put forward, but there seems to be research that indicates that if you have a kind of a stronger public realm, you'll get greater footfall. There seems to be a kind of a correlation there. And which there makes are, sense. Which makes sense, mm. you know. It also uh, suggests that a strong public realm will will underpin economic performance of, of retailing and so on. So people are probably now in an era where they have multiple choices. You can buy most of your things online. So... In that sense, what are our towns and villages going to be about? They're going to be about places, maybe in a digital age where we come to socialize and to exchange and where we meet and just have fun. So I think that that probably suggests that the rural towns will probably trade on, the, on, the, on their own resources, you know? Right. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I think you'd be, you'd be amazed how many resources there are in these places. You know, capital resources, people, ideas, creativity, all that sort of stuff. Now, you've touched on something very interesting is the future of the street. So if shopping is changing, and it is dramatically, right, the nature of the shop changes profoundly because you no longer need a store at the back. You know, if you think of a typical, you know, clothes shop on a main street, right, you've, you've got the shop, the shop window, then you've got, you know, the sort of the offering as you come in. And then at the back, you've got storage. And above that, you've got storage as well. Now, in the new world that we're talking about, most people will just use shopping to say, oh, yeah, I wouldn't mind one of those. And then you'll click and it'll be delivered to you. So the shop becomes something different. Workspaces, joint workspaces, you know, sort of office spaces become different, cafes. And, and again, this living above the shop, which is something that Irish initiatives have, I've seen two or three of them over the last 20 odd years. To get somewhere like Dunleary, and again, I'm using just Dunleary as an example, but to get it really populated, you need to get more people in living on those on, on the streets. And how can you do that? What's, what's, what's stopping us from doing that? Um, I suppose there's a couple of things there. One is, what is the definition of, a, of, of, of success on a high street? So maybe 20 years ago, it would have been that you had a generic set of shops all running down that main street. Somewhere like Dunleary is actually a really good example where along the main street, there are lots of shops, but they have small floor plates. And in the past, that probably probably worked against uh, the success, their, their, their success. Yeah. Now it's probably perfect, you know? This living over the shop thing is something I'd really like to explore a little bit more. Because when I, when I do go down the main street, Dunleary, and I'm sure listeners will find this in their own places, I have two pet issues here. One is dereliction, which we'll talk about in a second. But the other one is this quasi-dereliction, which I mean by underutilizing this space. So there's a lot of what looked to me like they could be potentially one-bedroom flats, two-bedroom flats above the shops here and many, many other towns, and they're not used. Explain that to me. Why, why at a time when we have a housing crisis, are there so many vacant urban premises? It's a kind of a conundrum. I mean, my mother grew up in Ross Grey and the family lived over the shop. And they had a big garden at the back and they grew all their vegetables. So they were 100% rooted in the town, over the shop. And that's the way it was, you know? Yeah. I think probably now the shop and the room overhead is probably used as the storeroom. There could be difficulties in terms of insurance on old buildings, getting kind of separate separation and so on between the, the shop and the upper floors. Yeah. 
There can be problems of access and maybe fire escape and so on. But there have been studies done in the School of Architecture in, in UCD that, you know, explore that idea of how could you densify the in-situ residential population of our towns by dealing with those issues. And they are surmountable, but I think it is difficult. And it's difficult because the, the insurance bills are too much, or the well, I don't the, have a the regulations I don't, I, yeah, are too yeah. tight. Yeah, I, th- I suspect it's I suspect it's a whole because like, I always thought regulation, if like just as a general concept, if regulation is preventing urbanization, then the regulation's wrong, not the urbanization. I wouldn't imagine it's just one thing. Okay, I, I would imagine it's probably tradition. It could be the existing kind of use patterns of retailing at the moment as they begin to change. It could also be the insurance issues. It could also be fire issues. So I suspect it's a whole series of different different things. Yeah, no, it just seems to me when, when I drive through small Irish towns, right, that there is a sort of a down-at-heel uh, feel to many of them. And there's a derelict feel. I mean, dereliction amazes me in this country because it, it seems to me to be actually endemic in certain cities. Like, for example, Cork City, you could be mistaken for thinking Cork, Cork City is falling down. There's so much dereliction down there. Here in Dunleary, there's quite a bit of dereliction too. What would you do? What would you do? If you if you had a blank piece of paper now, and you, and you they said, Bob Hannon, here's a blank piece of paper. Make sure that dereliction is something that we do not encourage. What would you do? What would I do if I was given a blank piece of paper? <laughs> <laughs> Just putting you on the spot there, there you Bob. Go now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's quite a you question. Don't come, you don't know? come down to the broadcasting <laughs> yeah, HQ yeah, with yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> I think I would start off with maybe a demonstration project that shows maybe its potential. And if I were given a, a blank piece of paper and three blank buildings, then I could work around that. And I think maybe by demonstration, you could actually like, show. Yeah, what would you do? You'd, you'd, you'd take a building and you'd show what this could be like. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's always a great way of uh, stimulating debate and maybe showing a way that things could change. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and is there are there any moves at the moment to do that? Because sometimes when I'm up in the main street, and again, if you're listening in lots of parts of Ireland, uh, you'll feel the same about your own hometown or, or your, the city you're in. You know, is there any moves to try and make this type of resources available to people like yourself in order to show that kind of heroic idea? Well, we we tend to stay away from uh, the heroic, but I think no, but that like, um, all movements need, need heroes. So you so you're just building as hero. It's like okay, that's what it could look like. Um, well, <laughs> maybe more champions than heroes. You know, um, I think it's already happening. Um, I think that um, people are beginning to take these buildings. Um, there are people who are having small uh, galleries, for instance, at the ground floor and renovating the upstairs and so on. So I think that that trend is already underway. Yeah. Okay. And just in conclusion, let's talk about Ireland post-pandemic. There's a lot of fear that the centre of Dublin might not recover as quickly as it should do, and that a lot of the trade has migrated out to here and out to other towns around Dublin because people aren't moving in and out. What do you see as the sort of the, the urban landscape in the next two or three years, what do you think the? Well, if you're looking at Dublin City, what would you say Dublin should do to get back on its feet? <clears throat> I guess Dublin City again is a is a really complex organism, so it's very very difficult. But I can only imagine that again on on the on the premise that you know more people living in a city 
contributes to vitality and public life and localized spending, even if it's in a city center, I think that that can only be a, a, a positive thing to happen, you know. In Dunleary, for instance, the residential population of the center of the town has been increasing over the last, I think, two census counts. It is actually going up. As a result of that, you are actually getting the rolling back of dereliction and you are getting an increase in, in, in vitality and you are getting increased footfall in the locality. And this all predated uh, COVID. Yeah. Um, mm. I think other European cities that are very successful, the very livable ones, I mean, you know them all, like Barcelona, yeah. Amsterdam and so on. I think those are the ones that are successful and they're, they're really good models, you know. And of course, then they have their own problems with gentrification and tourism and so on. But of course, it's, it's, it's always an ongoing yeah, no, you're never, you yeah. know, and that's what I think, you know, when you describe the city as a living organism, that's what it is. And so you do something here and the organism reacts. Mm. And that, that, but just, just the, the final issue is that, you know, the way, because I think, uh, because of rates, that there would always be a weakness for keeping retail as opposed to converting it to residential. But do you think that certain towns like Dundee probably have a little bit too much retail and not enough residential? And you might actually have to rebalance that as well. And that would then mean a financial hit for the council because they'd get less rates. Um, I think that there's, like you said, there's always an ongoing uh, process of balancing and rebalancing. And so it could be, for instance, that there are certain areas where within within what's, you know, the, the town centre or considered the town centre should have more residential. There might be other areas within the town centre that needs a different type of retail. Um, so again, um, it's very hard to say in general terms, it should be one thing or the other yeah. thing, or we're not going to do this because you could fear a loss of rates. It's more it's more an endless process of kind of microsurgery. Can I just ask you just finally, and this is very specific to Dunleary, I think that Dunleary specifically is is missing, is a half-decent music venue. I know we have the pavilion, but you can't dance in the pavilion. So we need, I, I also think we need a, you know, like a Vicar Street or somewhere like that in Dunleary yeah. as a place to come at night rather than just pubs or, you know, or the theatre. Yeah. So I, I completely agree with you. I think that, um, I mean, we used to have uh, the Top Hat. We did yes. have the Top Hat. Yeah. We used yeah. to have Walters. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which I see is, is coming back. I think it's back in use very soon. Yeah. Yeah. They're looking for, they're, they're looking for staff. So that's always a good sign. Okay. Yeah. And, um. Yeah, the development of kind of a nighttime economy. Yeah. Uh, a kind of a longer cycle of activity, you know, beyond just the, the working day yeah. as it goes into the night. Yeah. Um, and not just for locals either, to attract others in as well, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, also then diversifying the kind of range of people who are living in the city, mm. in, in the town centre, you know, maybe to include student accommodation, maybe to include, you know. So that's why kind of mixtures of tenure is good. Um but yes, some nighttime stuff in the area would be very fun, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. To keep John in his delinquent habits. <laughs> Bob, we will leave it there. Bob Hannan, Senior Architect, Dunleary County Council. Thank you very much. And listen, best of luck with it this week. Uh, you'll have two wastrels hanging up there on the street for the whole, the whole Absolutely. week. Absolutely. Exactly. Right. Cheers, Bob. Thanks very much. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You know, I, I was really serious. Dunleary needs a venue. It does need a venue. Just for non-Dunlearyites, Bob mentioned the old top hat there. Oh, yes. The top hat hosted in the 80s. It used to be a, a, a roller skate park. A, a roller disco that we used to go to. Yes. I loved the roller disco. And then, it, then when skateboards came along, it was a skateboard Yeah, park. I do. But it also hosted gigs such as The Jam, The Clash, The Stranglers, all of those Nirvana. guys. Nirvana. Sonic Youth. That's right. All these played there. Yeah. yeah. There was, and then they turned it into apartments. Of course they turned it into apartments. It's yeah. Ireland, right? <laughs> but there also used to be the scene of unmerciful scraps as well. Yeah, but that was the 80s. That was the 80s. The whole place yeah. was just scrapping. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was just Because there, there was a nightclub in there. Yeah. When there wasn't yeah. gigs. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But it was an amazing venue, the top hat. An it amazing was. venue. Beautiful venue. Circular thing, the whole thing. It looked yeah. like this. Yeah, and now it is... Circular apartments. Circular apartments. Anyway, anyway. Dunleary does need a venue, but what Bob was saying, John, is germane to any town. Now, I've got a bee in my bonnet, really, about this dereliction. Yeah, and, I, and I I'm with think, you on that. I, I just think it's, 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 it's vandalism for the property-owning classes. And I think the state really needs to grab it by the scruff of the neck because Irish towns are falling down. If you travel around the country and you go to, you know, proper... Quite majestic Irish towns, you know, provincial towns. The level of dereliction, the sense of not being loved is everywhere. Mm. And again, and I know I'm a bit... Odd. And nobody wants to live beside a, or in a street with other derelict buildings. It well, there's, there's that just thing. doesn't feel <laughs> no, it doesn't, or look doesn't, good. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's that idea of the broken windows theory yeah. that has been credited and then discredited. But the idea is that if you let a building go to rack and ruin, the chances of the next building beside it going to rack and ruin get are higher. Yeah. Higher and higher and higher. And therefore dereliction isn't a victimless crime. There are victims. The victims are the people who own the other properties because their property values yeah. dissipate. But also it is the in a country with a housing crisis, how can we have dereliction? Well, let me ask you a question. Bob also mentioned the likes of Amsterdam and Copenhagen and Paris to a yeah, certain degree. And Barcelona as well. Barcelona yeah. was the other one, yeah. But so you're looking at pictures from the 70s yeah. from Amsterdam with the, you know, cars and then people on the street protesting and all the rest. How come we're so far behind here? Well, it's interesting. You remember that Simon Cooper was on the show a while ago? Yeah. He was Dutch. 
And he said, living, growing up in Amsterdam in the 1970s was like living in the country of the future, right? They had euthanasia, they had gay rights, they had abortion, they had divorce, they had an environmental movement, they had a massive move away from cars to bicycles. It was like living in the country of the future. Yeah, And they're just, they're just, I mean, the Dutch are just ahead of the game when it comes to organizing what Bob talked about, the public realm. Now, I don't know why this is. I don't know what the... The same is in Denmark and Copenhagen as well. One of my favorite cities, actually. And there's a place you basically everyone cycles around and it's a completely livable, walkable city. Mm. And I also noticed, for example, I've been about four years ago, I was in Oslo. And Mm. Oslo has a very similar climate to us, right? In fact, you could argue it's much more inclement. It's rainier and it's colder. Yeah. But yet every outside space, they have a little terrace, they little blankets and everything. So they, they use all their outside spaces all the time. Yeah. And it's as if, and they, they've, this, they've this new development in the old harbour of Oslo. It's quite a small harbour, but these amazing sort of shops and galleries and theatres and, you know, all sorts of things, cafes, but everything's orientated towards the sea because they understand the sea is actually the valuable asset. Yeah. Whereas in Ireland, our, a lot of our towns have turned their back on the sea. I mean, Dublin Port is a great example. Yes. The biggest the biggest opportunity for urban redevelopment in Ireland is Dublin Port, and we've turned our back on it. We have put oil tankers in there. Yeah. But yes. there could be yeah. but there could be extraordinary places to live. Yeah. And it's it's full of oil tankers and freight. Yeah. And it's, lorries coming in and out by the dozen. Whereas whereas if you look at the place like also they move the port to another place, so you liberate all the land there, and Bob's your uncle, you're away. But it's all about I think having people who run the cities or the towns who have an evident love of the place and they've joined up the dots and they realize that, you know, if you suffocate a place with cars, you will have no street life. Mm. And if you have no street life, then evidently those streets will become more and more barren, more and more derelict. And over time, people won't want to go there, Mm. you know, because they become dead zones because there's nobody out. Yeah. So what they're trying to do here, and I, I, I would think every Irish town should do the same thing, take the old main street and get rid of the cars. Like I was, our mate lives in Le Hinch, Bannum, yes. who has his pub, Frawley's, which yeah. we need to go down to. Yeah, it's a fine establishment. It's a fine establishment. Go in there and you'll get a discount if you mention the Dave McQueen's <laughs> podcast. Is that okay, Pete? <laughs> but Bannum's right. So Frawley's is on the corner of the main street of, of uh, Le Hinch. And I was there last summer during the f- the first liberation from the first lockdown. Yeah. And I went down for a couple of scoops with Peter. And I was amazed that the entire main street was just a car park. Yeah. Just cars everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So there was no life on it. So all the people were sandwiched into these tiny little footpaths and the rest of the thing was taken up with cars. Whereas if you got the cars out of there, yeah. right, and created some way of cars going around it or some car park or whatever, what you would do is... Even would, a shuttle bus kind of yeah, vibe, you, you know? Yeah, you would just open up the town. Mm. And then that main thoroughfare, which is a, a bit like Dunleary, beautiful old Victorian buildings, right? With little details and little echoes of the past. The same thing, every main street in Ireland should be car-free. Yeah. And just figure out, and yes, it'll be chaotic in the beginning and lots of people get fed up and whatever. But what it'll do, it will just reclaim the streets for people as opposed to for cars yeah, and for humans as opposed to for metal. And, and therefore the economy, reclaim the economy. You reclaim the economy and you also reorientate the economy away from this out-of-town big shopping centres 
you know, serviced by cars deep into this. And, and everybody benefits. I mean, at the end of the day, I'd say you will find no Dutch person who would say, you see that Amsterdam? We should go back to 1970s, have loads of cars, right? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah of course. proof of the pudding. Yeah. So uh, let us just see when, where Dunleary leads, the world follows, John. Just a quick note to say thank you to all our Patreon supporters. And if you fancy supporting us on Patreon, you can check us out at patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.